Welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Harris. We have a panel, sort of. We have two people, two guests with me today uh, who are going to be talking about Southern Baptist-related issues for all you Southern Baptists out there. I know there's a number of you in the audience, some of you bitterly clinging to the denomination, (laughs) trying to keep it Orthodox. Others, uh, maybe you're former Southern Baptist, but you're still interested because um, you're, you're concerned about the left-wing drift and, and maybe you've left because of that, but, um, either way, this is the largest Protestant denomination. And so it's gonna, uh, still be an ongoing conversation on this podcast to some extent, at least. And I thought it would be helpful and fruitful to have Mark Devine with us, who is a writer, uh, who actually is a professor at Beeson, uh, Divinity School, uh, teaching the history and doctrine track. He's a former pastor, but he's, uh, the way that I've, interacted or, or heard about Mark is through uh, his writings in the Western Journal, American Thinker, Spectator, and The Federalist. And then we also have with us Pastor Richard Henry, who's the pastor at New Harvest Baptist Church in, in Kentucky. And uh, we've met before. He's, uh, in my mind, he, he's kind of probably where your average conservative Southern Baptist is going to be uh, with, mm-hmm. with a, a church kind of probably out in a working class area and concerned about what's going on. And so he's going to weigh in with his perspective on, on what's happening as well. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for giving me some of your precious time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So I want to start with you, Mark. Uh, I probably should. Can I call you Dr. Mark Devine? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've known each other on a personal level a little bit just from uh correspondence and so forth. So, Mark, I just wanted to ask you about your latest piece. You talk about this issue with the federal government, the Biden administration now investigating or saying they're going to the Southern Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist reaction to me. I I just was a little surprised. Nothing surprises me, but that was surprising a little (laughs) that they're just saying, hey, come on in. We have nothing to they didn't even say we have nothing to hide. It was more of like almost like a, a, a jubilant celebration. <laughs> Maybe that's over overreaction, but they just, they can't wait. It seems like to be investigated. So what do you make of all this, Mark? Well, it reminded me of what happened when Donald Trump issued uh, an executive order related to the 1964 uh, civil rights act. Uh, and then uh, had the justice department send a letter to president ice Gruber at Princeton because they had spent several months uh doing everything they could to say, we are racist. And so Mm. if you're racist, well, then that is a violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And as soon as uh, the executive order was issued, it was the last year of the Trump administration, then immediately uh, Ice Gruber put out uh, a very gracious uh, letter saying we're going to cooperate utterly. And that makes perfect sense because the executive branch uh, is the branch that has the guns. And uh, one of the mantras that we often hear uh, from uh, kind of the woke uh, Tim Keller movement in evangelicalism, uh, they have several of these mantras that they've taken straight from the political rhetoric. And one is don't live by fear. But of course, every person who is wise uh, takes precautions against warranted threats. Mm. And uh, one way to view how they have acted is that they they act according to warranted threats. And so when the DO just the De- Department of Justice comes knocking, uh, you're you're going to have to uh, buck up and, and deal with them because they do have the power to hurt you greatly. And I'm quite sure that is what is in mind here, because um, uh, if uh, 
what we're seeing is a Marxist movement that was really perfected in many ways by Antonio Gramsci, the um, head of the Italian uh, Communist Party. He, he, was, he was imprisoned uh, and wrote his prison notebooks, but he saw that we needed to march through the um, institutions in order to achieve the Marxist goals. And he recognized, as Marx did, that the family and the church are the number one threats. And there could be no bigger prize for this movement uh, than to uh, fully, than to even more undermine the witness of the largest Protestant denomination uh, in America that voted 80 plus percent for Trump. And so mm. that's how I view what is happening. So you think it's a political move? It's uh, directed against political opposition to some extent. And it's not a surprise, it sounds like to you, that they would react in the way that they're reacting. I, I suppose what I thought would happen would be there would be a little self-reflection about this. Like, how do we get here? You know, oops, we kind of did this whole thing with waiving attorney-client privilege and all getting on this bandwagon about systemic abuse uh, system, mm. or, uh, you know, uh, sexual abuse is such a problem. It's just everywhere in the SBC. Let's get, you know, guideposts to come in. I thought there would be at least some, maybe some, some just oops, <laughs> but I don't see that at least. It seems like they're sticking to their uh, narrative and, and that's surprising to me a little bit, at least I, I don't, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I mean, are you, were you surprised at all, Mark, about any of that? There, there wasn't self-reflection. I think there is self-reflection, but publicly because of the nature of the threat, the department of justice, uh, which we now know works well with the FBI, uh, the nature of the threat, they only want to present uh, a posture of, of, of cooperation. Mm. That's, that's what they want to project because they're going to have to cooperate and yeah. uh, they will cooperate. And so uh, certainly behind the scenes, I'm sure they're thinking and feeling and saying some of the things you've said. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would be, hopeful about that, but hopefully for the right reasons. <laughs> um, well, Pastor Henry, uh, how do you feel being a member of a denomination now in your, you know, uh, your kind of average country church out there? You're now part of this big denomination that's under federal investigation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, somebody sent me the article, I think it was last week, week and a half ago. And of course, this is right on the heels of FBI going into Mar-a-Lago with uh, Trump's house, his residence. And we know that Obama and others have targeted Tea Party groups, you know, 10, 12 years ago uh, through the IRS. And I mean, there's there's multiple things. And we have what is it, 87,000 new IRS agents being appointed by Biden. I mean, it's easy to like get all up in arms and oh, no, oh, no, the government. Uh, but it's not unwarranted because there are so many abuses. There are so many things that are uh out here and then they're targeting these particular people i mean are they going to go after uh, everybody else with sexual abuse i mean i know we've got epstein and some of these other guys that are all friends with big washington uh and big government but there's others too harvey weinstein in hollywood i mean there's so many well, teachers Cosby, unions, I mean, right Church, i mean yeah. exactly i mean there's so much overlap with sexual abuse it's such a broad term um it's definitely hits closer to home uh, with the SBC, and it, it is a little unusual. Uh, I read an article, the one that was, I think it was Baptist Press, uh, and it was, uh, yeah, written in like, everything's open. I mean, I, I attended and graduated Southern Seminary, 
uh, you know, Al Mohler's list and he's the president there and he's one of the people that signed it as if they're, you know, Biden and his people are going to come to Southern and, you know, look at stuff and write stuff down and look through the files. I mean, I, I, I don't know what obviously to expect, but it's very, to say the least, unnerving. Um, but again, we're a bottom up organization. So how much this would really affect the local church? I think most people want it to because they kind of have Roman Catholicism in, in their rearview mirror as far as how every church works, so-called. Uh, but Bible churches, non-denominational churches, and of course, Baptist churches are all autonomous. We own our own building. The church appointed me. I wasn't appointed by someone else. I don't answer to anybody but the Lord, right? <laughs> and so, you know, the SBC president can call me and tell me I can do this or that, and you shouldn't do this or that. And I could say, hey, you know, Bar Barbara, you're a nice guy and all, but no thanks. Uh, so I don't know how much it'll affect the local church, but it doesn't hurt uh, your brand or your where you're at. It's not going to like people aren't going to say, oh, it's Southern Baptist, man. They're yeah. Those are a bunch of perverts. I, <laughs> I'm not going there. I know. No, I don't know. Uh, I had a conversation with a former pastor uh, for my channel that's going to drop sometime next month. And um, he's my pastor in California and he moved around a little bit. Him and his wife are in Kentucky now. They're east and um, east of Louisville. And so I sat down with them face to face and he pastored a church or pastors a church that was in the SBC changed their name and ended up leaving the SBC. And it made sense. I mean, he's very convictional and just kind of straight to the Bible, doesn't care about all the politics. But that was one of the things that he addressed as far as people calling the church. They're like, oh, is, is Anchor Bible Church? Is that a, is that a SBC church? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, oh, oh, thanks. You know, and so he's witnessed that there, you know, east of Louisville. Uh, I haven't, but, you know, I don't advertise it either. You know, it's a Baptist church. I, I like the SBC enough but, you know, to quote Tom Askell and others, it's <laughs> God doesn't need the SBC. You know, he doesn't need mm -hmm. any denomination, really. He doesn't need us at all. Um, so, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, I think, moving forward. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but it's certainly the, I think the concern that people I would think would have who are kind of layman Southern Baptists, uh, your average pew sitters are, is, is going to be, you know, what does this do to our denominations reputation um you know and, and the other thing is what when the federal government comes in especially the biden administration and they investigate this are they using the same metric guidepost uses i mean are they going to mm. see abuse and things that there really isn't necessarily evidence for but there was a power disparity and we must believe women so therefore this is a case of abuse mm -hmm. uh, that's you know, Mark, what could happen? I mean, what if they come in? I'm just scenario here. They come into Southern, let's say, since Pastor Henry brought that up and they say, we're going to investigate Southern. Oh, guess what? You guys have a problem here. Uh, the Jennifer Lyle situation, or maybe they find other things that really don't constitute um, situations biblically that would be considered uh, at least provable, um, you know, sexual, uh, or at least the, the evidence, let's just say, isn't there for a, a sexual crime that's been committed or something but they're gonna go with it anyway what what i don't know if you know what happens in that scenario what what can they do to southern seminary or to the sbc in general if they if, if they operate by the, the the metric i just laid out well they will find problems it's a large domination and and the doj will find problems uh the domination has already found problems and admitted mm -hmm. to those and this, this is not warranted in any way. Uh, it, all you have to do is look at the Southern border and look at the defund police and the disinterest that the DOJ has in those. 
to understand what, uh, what, what is happening. It will continue to damage the brand. The, the brand of Baptist, whether Southern is on it or not, whether it's Southern Baptist, has been greatly damaged for decades. Mm. Uh, for most people that we're trying to reach with the gospel, uh, they think of Westboro Baptist Church. I saw someone from, um, wow. oh, it was Australia or somewhere, and I don't, I've forgotten what, is ha- what had happened, but because they were taking some conservative stand, and this was like, I don't know, I think it might have been Finland, and uh, this woman in Finland who's a conservative, and she was accused of being a fan of Westboro Baptist Church, so the brand is already very deeply damaged. And um, there are a lot of media driven part of that is that we haven't had people in our denomination who sought to protect the brand and they've given Mm. up, they gave up the brand a long time ago. The seeker movement did that and the non-denominational mindset that it has that, that we've got to, you know, if any group has a history, then their brand is going to be messed up because sinners are involved. And so that's (laughs) happened to Southern Baptists. And so uh, let's go with a generic Christianity. And that has also came, come into the churches where there's not a sense of ownership, bond, esprit de corps about the denomination that I had when I was 12 years old. Right. Uh, that's all gone. It's generic Christianity. It's us and Jesus and maybe Luther, Calvin, whatever, but it's not anything with any, any, any meat and bones on it. And so that's a problem with motivating pastors, you know, to, to, to vote that combined with local church autonomy because the convention cannot hurt a church they cannot threaten a local church the issue here are the assets and what those assets are going to do as long as they are there in the, in the convention it's more about caring about someone other than your local church the, the mm. involvement in the convention the local churches don't need the convention to be a local church but America right has gained a lot of benefit from there being a very large evangelical conservative denomination. And uh, if Paige Patterson had said, it's too bad, I'm going, well, then I and a whole, really two generations of pastors, of professors who were conservative, never would have been hired. Those, mm-hmm. those, those thousands of students would have never come through our, through our classrooms. And so it's really not the issue of the SBC is not about the local church per se, but it is about thousands of people who will be educated and will pastor churches in this country. Yeah. And that's the concern I have now is I think you, you very rightly said, uh, and, and I hadn't really thought of this is that they, they gave up on the brand that's quotable. They gave up on the brand years ago. And, and that is, is something that I think is so true, Mark, because, I remember even just being a seminary student at Southeastern, people were more loyal to Danny Aiken or to um, uh, even there. I mean, you had your kind of your Al Mohler wannabes and people seem to follow their celebrity pastor. J.D. Greer is in that area. A lot of people like J.D. Greer and um, nothing wrong with having uh, role models, obviously. But I, I just sense the loyalty was not to the denomination hmm. or even to the church, sometimes uh, local church, as much as it was to these powerful individuals who have power in the, the, the denominational structure. That's right. And, and now we're, we've come to, to a point where I think you, you, it's so divided. You have people on one side who uh, can't even find fellowship with people who are across the aisle um, politically in the convention. And, and so it, we're, it's, it's sort of by default 
splitting out. Um, let, let me ask you this question, either of you on this. I So I keep hearing from this is a conservative more critique of this whole the Southern Baptist Convention uh, direction, the elites and what, where they're taking it, especially with the Me Too stuff. And I keep hearing it's just all pragmatism. It's pragmatism. It's pragmatism. It's pragmatism. How is <laughs> here's the thing. How is this pragmatic? I, I just feel like you see what I'm saying? Like you go down this sexual abuse path. Our denomination stinks. Let's give up on our brand. We're awful. Come on in Biden administration. Oh, who could have predicted this? I don't see anything pragmatic about it. I just see that this is like you you think this is like a really dumb move if you're trying to preserve the denomination. But maybe that's not what they're trying to do. So I mean, what do you guys think of that? What, what's the motive here? If it's if it is it pragmatism, is it not? What is it? The word pragmatism is, is a little thin. I will say this, that uh, seven years ago, when the scales started falling off my eyes and I was, began to discover close friends of mine and others who were um, buying into some of the woke language uh, and things, um, for a while, I tried to make sense of what was happening through, for example, um, the taxonomy that H. Richard Niebuhr produced in 1951 about how the church, the various postures the church has taken with regard to culture, politics, um, and the two of those, those elements, uh, Christ against culture, more of an Anabaptist stand apart, that's a stream in, in the Baptist movement, but mm -hmm. also for the Reformed and even for Southern Baptists as opposed to Anabaptists, uh, the Christ transforming culture, uh, Kuiperism, this kind of thing. But uh, over time, what I discovered is when you try to impose a coherent view of the church as uh, over against culture and politics, uh, it doesn't work. What makes more sense of more that has happened to me is this. It's that they, they saw that they believe that, that the arc of history is moving uh, to blue areas. It is. We're living in a world that is getting more and more urban, more and more blue, Democrat voting. And unlike the seeker movement, but well, like the seeker movement and the church group movement, they, they studied a target population that they wanted to reach. And for the seeker movement, it was suburban populations. But for this movement, it's what I call blue communities. And they're college-educated, Democrat-voting uh, citizens of our these metro areas, and then anywhere around a university, and increasingly everywhere because social media. So in the same household, you'll have Bible-believing grandparents, parents, but then the children have been captured by the culture. This makes more sense of what they've done. Is their they keep they unlike Protestant liberals who rejected their doctrines. And their confessions of faith. Like the seeker movement, they kept their orthodox confessions of faith, but their branding, messaging, and, and platforming is all geared towards the sensibilities of the target population they're trying to reach, and the mm. target population they want, the blue communities. Then go back and see how their rhetoric is adjusted as events happen. George Floyd, the rise of Trump, how to handle the Me Too movement. And then you begin to have a, a, a key, a lens that helps to make sense of a, of a lot more than any other 
posture towards uh, what has happened. So, so pragmatic, yes, pragmatic, but, but in what way pragmatic? And I'm saying pragmatic in the sense that they decided we're throwing in with young people coming up. And that's why they have worked so hard to, to, to groom and, and to woo people like David Platt and Matt Chandler. And Matt Chandler could get away with calling Southern Baptist fools and morons, but he's not kicked aside, even though that's not very winsome, is it? But he's kept because he represents that population that they believe is the key to the future. And years ago, when I was friends with Dan, Darren Patrick, he's, he's dead now, he's not alive, and, uh, but we were planting a church in, in Kansas City, and Al Mohler was having Darren and many of these other uh, Driscollites and others, and they were they were they were casting their lot with sort of the the killer target audience, and I think that helps us understand kind of a a, a more complex understanding of, of pragmatism, where they think history is going, and they said these people that that built these institutions, they're old, they're dying, and we'll we want to keep as many of them as we can because they give a lot of money. Mm. But the future is is with the blue communities, and that's where we're going to cast our lot. Yeah, that's fascinating, and, and it does make sense of a lot of the things that we've seen, I believe, at least. When I was uh, at Southeastern, I remember I had a friend who was on the Southeastern Society, so these are the donors. And in their donors' meetings, they're telling them, we have to get uh, minorities and young people into the fold or else we die. It can't be a denomination of old white men. And so that was why we need kingdom diversity. That was the whole plan behind that. And you, you can go back to 2010, the Great Commission Resurgence, and Al Mohler talking about uh, the, if the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't diversify, then it'll die. Yeah. And and I don't know, you know, along the lines what all the chain, the links in the chain are, but I know that this that thinking has kind of permeated and become uh, the policy. Of, of the various entities in the convention. So Pastor um, Henry, I mean, you, you're more in a rural working class area. And I mean, you went to Southern though. I mean, do you see what Mark's talking about? And then how, um, how do you relate to this as someone who's, yeah, I mean, you're just where most Southern Baptists probably are. You're, you're yeah. not going to be interacting with these um highly indoctrinated i mean educated uh <laughs> uh you know people from uh big city who have uh progressive ideas yeah yeah i mean it's i didn't see too much i mean i was at southern from late 14 to 19 um and uh, you know i i didn't see a lot there was a few classes or really just really just one class and a couple books in the bookstore. I never took like Jarvis Williams and a few people like that just because it just didn't work out that way. But um, kind of late to the game of maybe 2018, the MLK stuff and MLK 50, right? I think that's when it was. And then and Resolution 9 in 2019. And, you know, it, it was like, wait, what's going on? Like, there's this. And like, sure, we want the gospels for everybody. And sure, there's roles for everybody. And, you know, great. But like, you know, you'd hear this kind of, well, we need reconciliation or racial reconciliation. You're like, well, like reconciling to win and like, like Babel, Genesis three, like 1960, like, where are we supposed to go back to, to reconcile? You know, that's still a question I've never really had an answer to. Um, as far as, I don't know. I mean, in one sense, yeah, I get what Mark's saying for sure. Uh, it's the blue and the, this, and I remember as a, 
20, 21 year old unbeliever, I called myself a Republican where I was still pro-life, but I didn't really care about taxes and who got married or whatever. And this was before uh, Obergefell and other things. And, but I still was like, well, I don't want to kill babies. Right. I don't want to do these other things. Like, and I kind of had this Christian upbringing ish, but I wasn't a believer at all. Uh, although I would have said I was a Christian, but that didn't mean anything really. But I think it's just, I think that's always the case though. <laughs> you know, we hear people, well, nobody wants to work these days. You know, I found a meme and it was multiple clips back to the 1920s about how people are lazy, how young people don't want to work, how people this, you can't find good work. Well, we hear that all the time today. And in one sense, I think we, it, this is why history, and I would say, you know, Mark probably knows this even better than me with knowing history. There, There's trends that this age group does this, prosperity brings this, uh, po- poverty brings this, men act this way in this situation, women generally act this way in this situation. And there's, it's not cyclical, like we're in some, you know, infinite loop, but I think human nature only goes so far. And being blue sounds great when you don't have a mortgage, right? When you don't have a wife and children to and then as soon as you get married, you realize, oh, that's really stupid. Why would I do that? You know, and I know blue people who are far more red in their 30s and 40s, not believers, than they were in their 20s. Because, you know, you're young, you're healthy, who cares? Uh, and so I think there is that level of capturing the youth. But I think that happens with the gospel. When you have actual conviction, you actually preach the word, then you're going to capture those people, even if they are blue or tinted blue that those seeds are going to bring fruitful righteousness and the oaks that will blossom far later, as opposed to pussyfooting around, well, Adam and Eve weren't really, oh, no, oh, real fall, oh, global flood, well, oh, Jesus, maybe he's not the only way. And you do these things, no, you stand firm on the conviction of the word that centuries of people have. And I mean, just look at history. It might be hard, but the truth always wins. And so I don't think having a blue direction, I love uh, Doug Wilson. I know he's post mill, but you know, what does he say? Stupidity isn't, isn't a strategy, you know? And it's like, yeah, I mean, some of these, and I get it, they still have media and Hollywood and all these other things, but you can only go so far. And I mean, the gospel will prevail. Christ will win. Uh, It might be hard, but I think there's just that level of, you're going to get opposition. You're going to get fighting. There's going to be problems, but when people get reality slapped in their face, they're going to say, oh yeah, I I can't, I can't not work. I got to work. And you have yeah. children, you're like, well, of course, do the job, do the work. And then you're like, wait a second, I can't, I can't be a socialist. I can't do these things because this doesn't even work in my tiny little family, let alone in the church, let alone in my town well, or city. The point you're making, I think, is that, you know, you can try to get on a jump on the bandwagon, but ultimately you don't know where this whole bandwagon is actually leading because these young people that you're thinking you're going to attract and save your denomination with actually in 10 or 20 years may not be as blue as no. you're anticipating. And so I don't think there's much foundation in there really isn't much foundation in the blue. I mean, what does Francis Schaefer say? I mean, the, the unbelievers standing on thin air, they steal from Christianity. They steal from God with morals and ethics. And that's wrong. I mean, if you're a true blue person, you're an atheist. You, you don't believe in God, but you have no way to stand on actual morals to say that's wrong. And this is right. And we need to right. stand for racial justice. There's nowhere to stand. And young people, they might be captured by that at the university because that's all they hear. Well, that's why you need to have apologetics and, you know, university ministries and, and YouTube online. I, mean, I know you get a big influence in that way, too. And constantly having that second or third opinion against those who are un- indoctrinated from K through 12 and up into the university. So I don't know. I mean, it's 
it might be somewhat pragmatic for SBC to answer the question. <laughs> See, um, you know, I, but, I grew up in, in upstate New York. Now it was a red area. Um, New York red is different than red though, where y'all are coming from. I think it's very, um, uh, it, you know, a New York Republican tends to be pro-choice, tends to mm. be, you know, we should have some taxes. They're a little uh, more to the left of even some Democrats in, in some rural areas uh, in the South. But it, they're anyway, it, it was Republican, we'll say. And, um, you know, it's it, it switched recently. But the uh, the major city near me or the, the larger city in our county, at least, was totally blue. Right. And that's where I went to my first experience with college was a community college there. And I was in a Christian group. I was um, actually a leader in, in the Christian fellowship on campus and stuff. And, you know, this is the thing that really, I don't know, just it. I don't know if this is there's a disconnect with Southern Baptists because they don't understand this or it, I don't know what it is, but it was obvious to me that if you're going to be in a an environment that is um, against what you believe, and I mean, it's exactly what you just described, uh, Pastor Henry. I mean, they were, you know, the atheistic, um, secular, LGBT, the whole nine mm -hmm. yards, right? If you're going to be ministering in that, it doesn't, it's not to your advantage to then go try to go halfway with them on those right. things. Absolutely. Right? And to mm -hmm. try to, and that's, that's what I've seen, but we didn't run our group that way. Our Christian group was very unapologetically Christian and mm -hmm. Orthodox and, and, and even the political implications of that. It's not like we wore that on our sleeve, but yes, we are uh, against uh, the profaning of marriage. Yes, we are against abortion. Um, yes, we believe in taking personal responsibility. We believe each per, you know, all, all the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that actually created more, uh, we, we became like the second largest group on campus because people could yeah. see, especially other Christians who are sheepish in class, class who didn't want to stand up. All of a sudden they see those guys are willing to stand up. You know, the members of our group, when we would take classes even together, we would hold firm together in class against the Darwinism or whatever. And that mm. was attractive because young people want something solid. They want conviction. They Exactly. Want it's either... This or that you this mushy middle that we've had for like Mark brought up with the seeker sensitive and all that. It, it's not worked, obviously. I mean, it, and you have mega churches now that are still very much churches, so-called. But uh, what do they what do they believe? What do they stand for? Are they really did they rejoice at the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Are they rejoicing at these other things and, and mourning these other things? No, they're just kind of eh, just keep doing their whatever. And it, it's either either know what i believe or what you believe or what mark believes and like yeah i, I want to know more about this jesus or i hate jesus and and then that's it and you know that there's this 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 stark contrast versus like which jesus are you talking about well you know all jesus's are the same jesus i mean yeah. i like to say everybody has a jesus right mormons muslims the secular person hindus they all have we all have a jesus the question is which jesus do we worship you know and and I, I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, if they don't view being... you as a threat, then you're not actually doing anything. You're right. <laughs> or as a friend to say, yes, or, I want to yes. hear more about this, this bread and this living water that you're offering. Cause I, the, this atheist, this, this agnostic crap that sorry, my, my parents gave me as a kid, I didn't ever know what to do or what was right. And what was wrong. I just kind of whatever be myself. And now, I mean, we see this with gender transition stuff and, and kids already coming out of that and, and young, young adults and, 
uh, I don't know. I mean, we look at PragerU and there's there's Daily Wire and there's other organizations that aren't necessarily Christian. Jordan Peterson, like that are more uh, uh, firm in the truth and just common sense that God has written these things on the heart. And yet you have others that you're like, really, this is our denominational leaders. This is the president of the convention. This is the, this is the guy I'm supposed to read. Like what is, where, where are the men to stand up and say, right. This and is right. And this is wrong. Like the courage to lead or you know, these weird, right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Strong, strong titles, but then they go halfway. That's the thing. They go halfway yeah. or they go part of the way with me too movement. In this case, mm-hmm. we can accept some of these. Um, we, we can even have a, a an organization that's pro LGBT, uh, do yep. a rundown of our denomination and give us a report and recommendations. We can accept the premises that are totally unbiblical, you know, streaming from that whole movement. And mm-hmm. and then when it comes back to bite us, the, the, I just don't see the clarion call somewhere to say that was wrong. Actually, this is what we believe. We believe in uh, in two or three witnesses. We believe in a civil procedure here. Uh, mm-hmm. due process we're, we're not uh, we're not anarchists where if we're just held to the tyranny of the accuser mm-hmm. um you know it just because someone says something doesn't mean it necessarily happened we no no one seems in in a position of leadership seems to be able to say that and it it's having the opposite effect i think because the people who are on the left politically and are accepting all of these uh let's just say anti-biblical ideas many of them you know, they just keep ripping the Southern Baptist Convention a new one. There doesn't seem to be any nurturing or care for the convention. They're, it's almost like they're the enemies of the convention and they even posture themselves that way. Mm-hmm. Yet they somehow have the reins of power. And then people that are um, that you know grew up in the convention, that love the convention, that don't that truly do, I think um, they 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 don't want it to change the way that it has been changing. They're kind of just left out high and dry. And I don't know how this thing rectifies itself. I mean, what do you, what do you predict is going to happen, Mark? Well, first of all, um, you're talking about what works and what doesn't. Well, the gospel is always the gospel, and a healthy uh, church that is rooted in the Bible is always a healthy church that's rooted in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But a compromise of the gospel has been very successful measured in buildings, bucks, and bodies. Um, Protestant liberalism dominated Europe and America, running from Henry Ward Beecher in in America to, to, to Harry Emerson Fosdick. And it was many decades, and it had impact on many, many churches, and it provoked the fundamentalist modernist um, uh, fight. Uh, famous people and presidents and politicians wanted to hear Henry Ward Beecher. They wanted to hear uh, Harry Emerson uh, Fosdick. And when the church growth and seeker movement arose, it had enormous effects on all churches, even that didn't just embrace it. The music changed, the loss of denominational uh, uh, education and nurturing of esprit de corps and a sense of a covenantal bond with people who are, who are not alive and people that are not yet born. It, it had enormous effects. And, uh, and now this one is. It, it's, not, um, it's, it's not, in my view, warranted to be that positive because we know the gospel is the gospel and that some young people at at some point see it 
and then they, they go the other way. What's happened is, is that the institutions of the largest Protestant denomination in America that uh, educates about a third of all pastors in America are in the hands of people who are compromising the gospel. So our side is not winning, and there's nothing that indicates that's going to turn around. I hope it does. But, but, uh, but working, you know, one of the ways I described what's happening is, is by focusing on the target audience, and that's the wave of the future. Another way to think of it is, which is the way the seeker movement did, is we have products and services mm. uh, that we're offering to people who are shopping for products and services. And in Birmingham, of course, there are many more churches uh, that are full of people who voted for Trump and who believe the Bible than there are people in the handful of large, uh, formerly skinny jeans churches, but they've had barbecue <laughs> down here and they've gotten a little bit bigger. But, but, but what, what is true is, is that is that those churches are much better at reaching and retaining for a while the younger people. And it has an enormous impact, even if later down the road they, they become the nuns. It's not the case that most of them, eventually their eyes open and they become Christians. They become the nuns. You know, uh, Bill Hybels infamously uh, did one of these longitudinal studies at his church to see are people becoming more Christian. And he had these indices that were good indices, people becoming more discipled. And he found out that they were, they were not succeeding. Hmm. Uh, they had a big front door. They had a big back door. People weren't understanding their Bibles better. They weren't witnessing and all of these kinds of things. And you say, see, it doesn't work. Well, it worked in the sense that that model spread throughout the country and pastors all over copied parts of it because it did work in terms of buildings, bodies, and books for a while. Hmm. And when you want to be seen as successful and you want to be able to pay salaries, you do that and you rationalize it. And our pastors have done that. And I think that's part of the problem with motivating them to go to the convention because they would have to bring in cultural and political uh, messages where they haven't had any. And it would feel like something alien. And they would have to get their people to care about the denomination the way many generations were and mine was in a way that they haven't been. And it feels like something, it feels like something from Mars. Mm. And so uh, compromising on the gospel does work in the sense of having tremendous power and tremendous impact. Now, we know who's going to win in the end. Jesus is going to win. But for the next 15 or 20 or 25 years, Jesus is still going to be the winner. But it might mean watching the church decline. The Southern Baptist Convention, it is in decline. Christianity is mm -hmm. in decline in this country. And, uh, and I think that for a while, they could point, you know, uh, the, the entity heads of the SBC and the Keller movement. It did have an incredible vitality. I worked in it. I supported it. And it had incredible vitality and a, incredible preaching. And all sorts of good things were going on that I saw firsthand. But what I didn't see was that the people with the levers in their hand were hypersensitive to these blue community sensibilities in the same way the seeker church was. They said, we saw what the seeker church did, and we're not going to do that. We're going to put theology in the center. And seekers didn't say that. They kept their 
conservative theological confessions and said, we believe it all. But the, the Keller movement said, we're going to make that mistake. But they did. And they did because they were high and they still are hypersensitive to the sensibilities of the audience that they targeted to grow in. And eventually though that sensibility included you better sig- you better virtue signal that you accept this new anti-racism and you better virtue signal that you hate Trump. And mm-hmm. that's why they the Overton window went that way. And so then they followed. And that has created this incredible divide that's there. What they'd hope to do is keep the large, the, the majority of these older people who aren't woke at all, and they'll die off. Al Mohler said that in a panel a few years ago. I where saw it. Matt Chandler, and he said, look, the future's yours. It's not going to be the people that are 85. It's going to be the people in this room. And he was doing that because Chandler was right on the right, had just said, uh, they, they asked him, you know, what do you think about? The, I just feel like there's always a chance that these Southern Baptists are going to make us all look like fools. You see? <laughs> yeah. And so the, the message wow. was just wait and they'll be dead. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember going to a, a prominent nine marks church, uh, in uh, Raleigh uh, area, well, it's in Durham, I guess, and uh, in attending there, and you know, they hearing things when I was at the church, like, well, you know, we keep this American flag in here, and the you know, American Christian flag, kind of typical setup on both sides of the, um, uh, the the sanctuary, because if we were to remove it, we would just offend too many old people. But wink, wink, nod, nod. Of course, we want this removed, you know. And that was it. Was this sort of transitionary tra- transitionary um, uh, posture that I just found to be un- utterly unattractive. Like it, it was just, I didn't know there was so much mixed messaging in my mind. I didn't really exactly know w- who stood where, w- what the church was actually about. And um, it, to me, the, the whole Southern Baptist convention, I, and Mark, maybe you can confirm or deny this. They, it seems if, if a historian was going to come, let's say a hundred years from now and look back at this whole era, look at the seeker sensitive movement, look at, uh, now the woke church movement, I I would think that you could go back to uh, the or, origination of um, the uh, uh, even neo evangelicalism, you know, with the uneasy conscience of modern fundamentalism, and just see that this, there was sort of a strategy laid out in there by Carl Henry, uh, who with well intentioned strategy, but we're going to re- reach these um, kind of er- educated urban leaders. We're going to and what modernity has um, taken from Christianity, what what the the uh, the pastors who have lost their prestige, the churches that have lost their place as cultural influencers, because now people are going to their psychologist instead of their pastor. Right. For yeah. advice and that kind of thing. We're going to recapture all of that. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to be Christians with the best psychologists and we're going to train Christians who are uh, pastors who are going to be trained in psychology. And, and then that fanned out into more social justice type concerns. You can look at the curriculum at Fuller Theological Seminary. I did that once. I looked, went to their archive and I just looked at their curriculum over the period of like 15 years just to see what classes and programs they started adding and what they took away. And it was just, it, it was kind of like a mini uh, or a, a, on a smaller scale, a look at exactly what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention over a shorter period of time. 
they lost orthodoxy in like 10 years. Like it didn't wow. take long at Fuller, but it's because they started out with this posture of we're, we're not going to be training uh, just and it was a seminary. Remember, it's not a university. It's a seminary. We're not going to just train right. pastors in the Bible. We are going to train the next generation of equipped psychologists. So people will respect pastors more now and they'll go to their pastor more and we'll, we'll get that prestige we lost back. And I just, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I would think a historian years from now is going to look back and sort of see that as one big enchilada. Like that's that that was like a hundred year period in which the church was desperately trying to find quote unquote relevance that they had lost, but using all these mechanism and mechanisms and strategies that um, utterly failed, that law basically destroyed the church's identity and just made it so, well, you have nothing to offer us. If you're a psychologist and he's a psychologist, why don't I go to the psychologist who's more acclaimed in the world? You know, <laughs> I don't need to go to the pastor to, to get my problem solved. And so it's like we be we weren't different anymore. We just became uh, the same, the same old, the same stuff that's happening in the world is just now being transported into the church. The same music, the same uh, advice, uh, yeah. the same everything, you know. And and that's, I mean, that's big picture. I see. So so I'll ask you guys this, and uh, whoever wants to start can start. But in the Southern Baptist Convention, as a result of all of this, and you can tell me whether you agree with my analysis or not. But you have now we don't know what a pastor is. We have critical race theory um, masking, you know, now they're using all kinds of other terms like cultural intelligence and denying they're doing it, but it's still being caught. <laughs> uh, we have um, the the soft peddling still of LGBT stuff in very creative ways, <laughs> honestly, uh, happening in certain quarters of the denomination. We have the Me Too stuff that's ripping the denomination apart right now. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The list just goes on. What it, Give me the argument, because I know both of you kind of want to stay in the denomination to, or recapture it to some extent. What do you tell pastors who are just saying, you know, I see all this and I, I'll just pick up my ball and, and leave. I just want to do ministry. I don't want to get involved in a political fight. Well, I am writing a book uh, in which I'll try to position uh, the young restless and reform movement and how it developed in an arc that runs back to Schleiermacher, the, the father of Protestant liberalism. And I'll compare and contrast them. What they all have in common is that they end up, even though they wouldn't have used the word branding in the, in the early 19th century, but they, they are responsive to a, an identifiable target audience. And for Schleiermacher, it was the sensibilities of uh, modern man uh, who'd had his, his ability to uh, trust the Bible undermined by certain substreams in the Enlightenment. And the seeker movement and church growth movement, uh, it was suburban populations, and now, now it's, uh, it's blue communities. What we haven't had an opportunity to see in the Southern Baptist Convention lately, we did with the rise of uh, the conservative resurgence under Paige Patterson. And so it hasn't been a straight line. Uh, this was an enormous anomaly, really in church history, for, for a denomination to be as far gone as it was and to turn around. And so that's, 
may, really probably unprecedented. The world, the, the 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 worldwide Church of God did, but that was a few people deciding. Whereas Page had to do it the hard way, you know, motivating people to go and vote and do that, you know, ten times in a row. Yeah. What we did haven't had the opportunity now is like Pastor Henry was talking about is is stand firm, and part of this is is a, not just a not just bad leadership, but lack of leadership. And here's yeah. what I mean. It's one thing to put your finger up, wet it, and put it into the cultural air and see how you can adjust yourself and remove barriers and be winsome and have something that has vitality for a while. Leadership that we need is a person that says, this is where I stand and here is why. And they take people with them. They actually lead people. You see, and we haven't had a chance to do that. The person who had the resources to do that was Al Mohler. He, when we look at the content of the briefing over decades, hmm. he had the resources to do it, but he chose not to. Uh, he chose to go along and play ball enough, and now all of these men that he made. You know, they were under him and they went and they had all these entities. They won and they eventually uh-huh. decided, you know, when he when he said, uh, I'm not I'm not going to vote Democrat anymore. And when he put together the statement uh, against critical race theory, although he left out syst- uh, systemic racism, that was a compromise they made. And, you know, within 24 hours, uh, Aiken was out there saying, well, we didn't say we don't agree that there's systemic racism. But I know when, when I- he did those things. <laughs> They said, that's it, Al, you're done. And that's when they tapped Lytton to scuttle molars. Uh, but he- here's what you say to people. Why not cut and run? I don't expect anybody who hasn't experienced what it's like to be invested in a denomination and to have that esprit de corps. It's like a person who's never been in battle and been bonded with those they fight with or in sports. But it's that kind of thing. It's a multi-generational thing. And you, you, you end up feeling uh, there, there's an emotional thing here that's not to be dismissed because it's emotion, emotional. God invented those. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it is, is, is uh, loving and caring about other people and our country and the gospel. The emotional part uh, that is not reducible to emotion, but it's this, is that I feel uh, a sense of... Uh, protectiveness uh, and duty and loyalty to the people who built the $30 billion in assets that are going to continue to have uh, effect on all of us, no matter whether we leave or go. And so uh, the prospects of success is one factor in why we do things. Okay, God called some prophets to go speak to Israel and said, they're not going to listen to you. And, the, and, what if, and we could say, well, if, he's, if it's not going to be successful, just don't do it. No, I'm going to use that, what you're going to say to judge those people. But you're mm-hmm. still going to go preach. Okay. The other thing is the more right in front of us thing. If we win, and I think the prospects are very low, but if we do, it's an enormous win for America and the gospel. Mm. And if we let them have it, they will have those assets to, to, uh, to do damage. Now, it's a cost-benefit. There's things in both columns. 
it's already bad for us branding just to be a Baptist. Okay. And the way the Southern Baptists have been the last uh, 10 years, uh, it's not, a, it's not a good thing, but again, we have local church autonomy and people don't understand that, but people in the churches do understand it. We do understand. In fact, they understand it more than I did because now they don't even think about the denomination because their pastors don't nurture that in them. Like, you know, God doesn't need the Southern Baptist convention. Yeah. He doesn't need either of you, but I'm not going to shoot you today. <laughs> uh, no, so, that's good. It's point that's well taken. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. So, so, I mean, no, those are good points. And I, I really, I think, resonate with what you said about having a bond or an obligation to the past, because that's, you could say similar things about the United States. Of course, right. we don't get an option to be part of the country we're in. We're just there. So, yeah. Um, so I think sort of depending on what you look, how you view the Southern Baptist Convention, whether it's simply a tool for ministry that you could keep, you know, if it doesn't serve its purpose, you can let it go. You know, people who who view it that way, they're not viewing it, I think, the same way you view it, Mark, whereas it's kind of like I was born into this. I have an obligation. I um, and maybe that is part of the difference between um, those who would say, look, what fellowship is light with darkness? I'm leaving. And then those who say, wait a minute, I have an obligation here. I have a responsibility. Um, I mean, Pastor Henry, I mean, did you do you resonate with that? Do you feel that that obligation or, uh, you know, what are you thinking as a pastor of a I would say a typical Southern Baptist church who's concerned. Yeah. Um, less so. I mean, I grew up loosely in the church. Like I said, I didn't come to faith till I was probably 23 um, in California. So there are Southern Baptist churches there, but it wasn't, they're not predominant. Um, and so I grew up in going to Baptist churches, but I mean, I love history. I'm a history guy. Uh, I really appreciate learning from history and trying to apply that even today, similar to how we do regular preaching, right? What is it? What's going on in the text and how does it apply to us? And so there's less of a connection. When I visited Southern in 2013, uh, I didn't realize how much things were just horrible, you know, 20, 30 years before that, 40 years before that with, you know, the denial of the virgin birth and the crucifixion, it's cosmic child abuse. There isn't a real Adam. There isn't a real Noah. There isn't a real Abraham and, and, and the Canaanite conquest and all these other things were just all denied. And these are people teaching at seminary. I mean, I forget, I think it was, I had a conversation with somebody and he was at Southern in the, or Southeastern, I think it was Southeastern in the eighties. And he was in the Navy, a real nice guy, uh, really just bold, strong man, young man. And he used to, oh, you know, cuss like a sailor until he went to seminary and it was cussed like a seminary professor, like in the classroom. And like, this, so this is the, this is the uh, uh, world in the air that the SBC was. And I don't think a lot of people know today know that. Mm-hmm. And then it was turned around. And so that's what drew me to Southern and, and the appointment of Al Moeller and of course others. And I learned that along the way and it just, the Lord opened up the door and I'm thankful we're here and we moved uh, eastward. Yeah. But so there's less of a conviction of history. Uh, I would say just for the truth though, just in general, if you look at history again, the reformation, the split in 10, 1054, even all, all the way back. What does the text say? God has given us his word. There is a book, as the new phrase is. And, and what does it say? And, and how are people saved? And this doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean we don't have uh, governments against us. It doesn't mean our neighbors may or may hate us or love us. But what does the text say? You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. And is it worth fighting for? At least for now, I would say fighting for the truth, even beyond just the SBC. 
uh, because you know the God God can use the SBC. He cannot use the SBC. Like Mark right. said, he could judge the SBC. Which, if nothing else, hey, I'm sticking around and say that's wrong. That's that's racist. That's evil. No, that's sin. This is what it says. What are you guys doing? Aren't you Christian? You know, and at least somebody, you know, a group of us, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, are going to the convention and so on, at least pushing and saying, I'm not going with this, at least for now. And, and, and you know, we'll see after New Orleans and maybe the year after that and how things go. But um, I think for the truth, for the gospel, for how sinners are saved and redeemed, I think it's worth it to just not say, well, whatever, I'm just going to go start my own denomination. Right. Uh, because again, you have less influence, less power. Yeah, the brands, the brand is tarnished, but don't be a tarnished brand. Be a pastor, be a professor, be an author that's Christ-centered and not just Baptist-centered or SBC-centered. Uh, but be focused on Christ and Him alone. And yes, this is my heritage, and I love my heritage. But right. at the end of the day, it's still sinners, and that's why we—that's why we need Christ, right? So, so, so what I hear you both saying, and I'll just boil it down here, is you can be a prophetic voice in the SBC, whether you know, and, and yeah. I think with Mark, you have you have that obligation to those who came before to some extent, playing into this. But that that's that's the reason to stay and be a, be a beacon for the truth. Um, say it like it is. Uh, d- you know, let people know that when wrong things happen, that those are wrong things, according to the standard that we've been given. Um, I'm going to say something blunt. Uh, obviously, people who listen to this podcast know I've made the argument to leave uh, for now a year and a half or more. But I, I'm still yeah. I'm, I'm open to hearing what you guys have to say. And I, I want um, because I do have listeners, I think, on both sides of this. I want them to hear these things uh, uh, talked about and wrestled through but he, so here's the thing and i'll we can probably sort of land the plane on on this particular point i'll get your reactions i don't see leadership from the conservative side in the southern baptist convention i'm just going to be okay. blunt about it and the reason i say that is because when if you compare the two and i know they're often compared the efforts now and then the conservative resurgence adrian rogers and Paige patterson at least from what i've seen maybe you you live through it mark so you probably can correct me, but it seems like they they were straight talkers. They were unapologetic, uncompromising. Um, people knew exactly what they were about. And they didn't have a problem calling out the other side. Mm-hmm. Right now, with the, the leaders that we have, I see incredible weakness mm-hmm. uh, on the conservative side, for the most part, in general. Just a, a failure to... Um, recognize the threat for what it is. You said, Mark, earlier that this is a false gospel that's going forward. And I agree, there's a false gospel. I don't hear that language coming from the conservative wing. Uh, I don't hear them calling out people by name, really. Uh, in fact, I hear the opposite. It's um, I remember the, the person who ran before uh, the last time said that there are no liberals. And I think by that, they, they meant there are no like modernist type liberals uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention who are running for president. But, you know, the effect that w- when you when you say that, but you don't say, but we have these heretics who are pushing a false gospel. That's a problem when you have mm-hmm. the, the person who ran last time um, on multiple occasions complimenting Bart Barber as if he's a step in the right direction somehow, even though it's not as good, but it's still good. I don't know what to say about this kind of stuff. And I realize um I realize this might come off as blunt and I mean no disrespect whatsoever. I have a lot of respect for anyone willing to stick their neck out and run. But the kind of leadership, Mark, you were saying could come from an Al Mohler hasn't come from anyone else that I can see. So so help me out on that. I mean, where's is there a light at the end of this tunnel? Is there someone or a group of people that the Southern Baptists can look to and say that's where the real uncompromised leadership is coming from? 
Well, we, we don't have we don't have a Paige Patterson or an Adrian Rogers. And there are other there are other challenges too that are different this time. Before it was very easy to to uh, bring up quotes from those on the other side, the moderate liberal side, showing them saying they don't believe in the authority of the Bible. And so the Bible, that was a great, great help. The other thing I've already mentioned, so I won't belabor it, but uh, the, the membership of Southern Baptist churches at that time were far more interested in hmm. the denomination so they wouldn't do like Pastor Henry, our church, our gospel, the truth, maybe the SBC. They, they couldn't think that way. They, all their lives, they'd been nurtured in it. And so when, when they were shown what was happening, they went in mass for 10 years straight to turn it around. And so that, that's a factor that's not, it's not just a matter of leadership. It's that they were leadable because of their sense of investment in and ownership of that, that denomination. And we, we don't have that now. Hmm. And here's the other thing that we have is that uh, in, during the um, uh, conservative resurgence, the opposition, they were not saying, man, we believe these confessions of faith utterly. No, they said things like that was good for their time, hmm. but we're in a new era. And we don't have that now. Now, when uh, you or many other people who are out there exposing what is happening, uh, one, of the, one of the tactics they use is, okay, let's have this professor sign the confession of faith. They're not saying, well, yeah, we do differ. You know, some of these things we're saying about, you know, the division of the world between oppressors and uh, oppressed really uh, doesn't square with the Baptist faith and message 2000. They're not saying that they're saying we're rock solid on that. And so this is the, how we got here, I believe is very much anchored in what Protestant liberalism is. And the seeker movement is, is it's, it's hyper alertness to a target, uh, target audience, and then adjusting your branding and all of that for that. But, but these differences that I've pointed out, they don't help us motivate people to go vote. Mm. Even though I don't think anyone with any knowledge of the SBC imagines for one minute that if we could vote online, it would be no contest. Yeah. The denomination would simply be taken back and the liberals mm. would never have a chance. Until they change the voting system. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's another, that? that's another oh, conversation. <laughs> We'll get brand new Dominion uh, voting. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, it, it's a, I, I see what you're saying there, Mark. I, I guess, you know, when you're someone like myself, who's been immersed in some of these quotes and listened to hours of some of these heretics who have been uh, indoctrinating the young minds of uh, future pastors in our seminaries. And I can see where there's clearly uh, mixing works with grace when it's a Galatian type heresy to, and that's just one of the issues. But when it, when it's so clear in my mind, I suppose you, pr we probably all suffer from this when we know something very well, we wonder how come everyone else doesn't seem to get this, mm. you know, how come we all can't just condemn this full stop, but um, it's still a struggle. It's still, I still run into it, you know, on a bi-weekly basis, probably at least with someone being like, Hey, I, uh, 
I heard there's a problem with the gospel coalition or like I heard Southern Baptists <laughs> are like not not biblical. Like and I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, wow. Um, there's just there's still a level of ignorance sometimes out there, which, you know, it's, it's I'm not like angry at people who say that, but it's like somehow the word isn't getting out like it should. And um, it's you know, I think there's some people all know, I think that there's something wrong, but they don't know how bad the cancer is, is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're like, well, I heard they kind of went leftist, but they don't know that they're they're actually like creating gospels that can't save people mm-hmm. that, um, you know, make people like the, the priest at Hebrew in Hebrews, you know, continually trying to renew their pledge of anti-racism or something, but they can never quite get forgiveness. They don't see that. John, and, um, the education that you and many others have done, I believe, has reached, I don't want to say, I don't want to exaggerate this, but but deep enough to the pastors that we're in a very different place than we were a few years ago. Many, many pastors do understand now what is going on, but that does not mean they will motivate and ed- they educate and mobilize people in their churches to go to the convention. The education has not been a waste, but now it's the question is, will pastors, are they mobilizable and will they mobilize the people in their churches? And and I know pastors who they understand now and they know what is wrong and they don't like it, but I don't think they will do what is necessary to take back the convention. I hope I'm wrong. Why yeah. do you think that, Mark? If I know this is John's show, but let me ask a question. Why do you think that that's the case? Just because I, they're not reared Southern Baptists and kind of what I you're saying earlier? Two things. One, and this is something that's happening for us as Americans, not just as Southern Baptists, is we're all discovering how rare a virtue courage is. Mm. People are afraid. And who are they afraid of? They're afraid of the left because the left will hurt you. Nobody's afraid of conservatives. And here's the second reason. It's what I've said before. They, they have, many of the pastors, your age and others, they've never experienced this fully orbed, esprit de corps, proud in a healthy way for what we were doing around the world, our seminaries, our heroes of the faith. They've never experienced it, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's more of a generic Christianity. It's, you know, it's, it's John Piper, whoever it is, Jonathan Edwards. It's not our church involved in this denomination, the largest in the, in the nation, sending all of these missionaries, going on those mission trips, being taught the history of the denomination. Mm-hmm. These pastors have never known it. They would never even think to implement it because they didn't have it coming up. And now you've got a congregation that that pastor who sees what's going on, they know it's wrong, but they've never brought denominational issues to the fore in any part of their leading of the church. Mm. It's real Christianity, but it's generic. Mm. And the denomination is something that just comes up every now and then. Whereas there were generations after generation that were steeped in it. And we knew what the Southern Baptist Convention was. And we knew that our pastor would go there and he would come back and report back to us. And we would be so proud and we would send things to missionaries. Mm -hmm. That's not at their disposal. So now if they're going to have to be courageous and bring something into the 
pulpit, they're not doing it. Now, I can't get inside their heads because I'm not them. I am doing this in the places where I preach. Yeah. Well, Pastor Henry, no, I, that. I have to observe it and try to understand it. Yeah. Well, I, I need to um, unfortunately land a plane. We've gone actually quite a bit of time, uh, and I know we could probably go a long, lot more, but I'll, I'll give you the last word, Pastor Henry, since you have addressed these things from the pulpit at your church. Mm-hmm. Um, final thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I do agree that there isn't a lot of good leadership at all, uh, for sure. I mean, I'm loosely a part of the CBN and just kind of following them a little bit and uh, trying to pay attention. And I've had some conversations both on YouTube here on my channel, not here, but on my channel and, and personal conversations and stuff. And yeah, there's definitely a lack of leadership. Um, and I think the difference is it's more hidden. I think you've said it before too, John, just the subversiveness of, Oh, we, we are, this guy's a Calvinist. This guy's this, Oh, they, Oh, they signed all the documents. Well, of course we're all conservative now. And you think, but you're not though. (laughs) Right. Why did you support this thing? And why don't you stand for this? And how are you condoning plagiarism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, it is, I think it does look grim, but this is why history is such a good teacher because it's often been grim and not just with the Southern Baptist convention being turned around, but there's been a plenary amount of places that churches have been restored, both the local church in America, in the West in general, uh, and there's been people that have left, right? And there's been people who do leave that aren't good, right? Henry VIII leaves because, you know, he wants to get a divorce. Well, that's not the best way to leave a denomination, you know, but there's other reasons to go and start Rhode Island. And that's why it's a Baptist and Providence and First Baptist Church of America. I mean, so there's there are distinctions there that sometimes it's good to leave, sometimes it's good to stay. Of course, the Puritans trying to purify the, the Church of England and end up coming to America. And so, I don't know, I, mean, I think people be encouraged, <laughs> ultimately be encouraged. And like Mark said, I appreciate your, your thoughts. I hadn't really thought about that as far as having the generations before being so Southern Baptist and, and soaking in that that's good. Uh, so if a pastor's uh, uh, watching this, then teach on that. And I'll probably ha- have a series now. I'm actually doing the denominational series for Sunday school right now from the church I pastor and just looking at different splits and denominations and things. So we're going to have to do a deep dive into the Southern Baptist. So thank you, Mark, uh, <laughs> more yeah. work for me, but I like it. So okay. I would just say, be encouraged and ultimately go to the convention. Right. I think I personally think now's the time to fight. We haven't really fought like we did <clears throat> in the eighties, late seventies and the eighties and turn the ship around. I would say at least let's fight. Let's go play the game and see how it goes. And the next five to 10 years. And if, well, if God says no, no, all right, well, yeah. Christ is still king. And if he says yes, then you were part of that. And you at least said, hey, there's problems along the way. Let's fix these problems and not just be quiet and go hide. Not like you're hiding or others are hiding per se, John, just because you've left. You're still calling it out and, and shining the light on it. So I, I would just don't say, happen to be a member of a Southern Baptist church now. Right. That's all. But, right. And that, um, but that's OK. I mean, you're still yeah. you're, you're immensely helpful to your audience because it really is is a lot of people don't have the time you know, to really investigate these things. Yeah, or... Try try to be John Harris and join a Southern Baptist church. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can join our church uh, anytime. John. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so uh, I just want to f- finally, you know, to end this and I appreciate both of your contributions, uh, gentlemen. I just yeah, want to get you. websites or where people can find uh, your work. Mark, where can people go to look up your articles or, or where, wherever you want to send them? Well, I've been, I've been publishing at the Federalist, American Spectator, the Western Journal and America, uh, American Thinker 
for the last seven years. And you can go there and just put my name in and you'll find my pieces. All right. And Pastor Henry? Uh, the easiest is uh, richardthenry.com. Um, richardthenry.com. That's, I've got YouTube pages there as well as it's a new website. So I've also got a blog that's coming and writings and you can follow me on. And that's where you're launching media. your campaign for Southern there. Baptist president, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. All right. I well, like, I, I like I, my quiet life. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I understand. Um, well, I appreciate both of you coming on and uh, thank you so much once again. And please check out uh, both Pastor Henry and Mark Devine's material. Until next time, God bless.